Hello, I'm Jacob Kruger, and this is the Write Your Screenplay Podcast. On this podcast, rather than reviewing movies in terms of two thumbs up, two thumbs down, loved it or hated it, we look at them to discover what we can learn from them as screenwriters. We look at good movies and bad movies, movies that we loved and movies that we hated. This podcast is provided totally free and with no outside advertising. So if you enjoy it, please share with your friends and write us a review on iTunes. It really makes a difference. For a full transcript, please visit our website, writeyourscreenplay.com. This week, we're going to be looking at Manchester by the Sea. One of the interesting things about Manchester by the Sea, you know, we're used to seeing movies that are about characters going through great personal changes. We're used to watching, especially these kind of family stories, especially dysfunctional family stories. We're used to watching stories about families coming together. And that's because most movies are built around a very simple principle, which is the principle of change. The idea that characters are undergoing this journey so that they can change. And normally we think of this as a change for the better. And one of the interesting things about Manchester by the Sea structure is that this character, Lee Chandler, played by Casey Affleck, is a character that refuses to change. Or maybe better said wants to change and simply cannot. This is a movie about a character who wants to change, but can't. This is a movie about a character failing to overcome his demons. So this week, we're going to talk about movies where the character does not change. There are a couple of different kinds of these movies, but Manchester by the Sea falls into a very specific category of them. And this is a movie that I call a test movie. The way a test movie works, you can almost think of it like the other side of the coin from a change movie. So most movies, the structure exists for a very simple purpose, to take a character who's at A and move them to Z. So if you have a character who's extraordinarily kind, we might move that character to a place of selfishness. If we have a character who's incredibly selfish, we might move that character through a place of kindness. Now, some change movies work like a circle. So if you think of a movie like The Wrestler, The Wrestler starts with a character who the only thing in his life is wrestling. And we move him to the furthest we can move from there, which is to a place of actually integrating with society. We get him a girlfriend. We get him uh, a relationship with his daughter. We get him a job at a deli that he loves, that he actually feels like the way he used to feel when he was in the ring. And then what we do in the second half is we take it away. We take away the daughter. We take away the job. We take away the girl. And we end it back where he started. But in these movies, the character doesn't go back to where they started in the same way. They go back in a different way. So the wrestler is not the same person that he was at the beginning, even though he changed and then changed back. So some examples of standard change movies, Breaking Bad, perfect example. Mild-mannered professor turns into cold-blooded, meth-dealing killer, and guess what? He loves it. Another example of a change movie, American Beauty, perfect example of a change movie. A character starts off afraid to stand up to his wife, afraid to stand up to anything, afraid to actually be himself, goes through a total nervous breakdown while he is pursuing lustfully his 16-year-old daughter's best friend and somehow transforms himself to a person who's at peace with his universe. These are the standard change movies that we're used to seeing. Which brings us to test movies. And there are lots of test movies. Indiana Jones is a test movie. 
Indiana Jones is a story about a guy who does not change. Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones does not change. Harrison Ford is Harrison Ford at the beginning of the movie, and he's Harrison Ford at the end of the movie. Nothing changes. But he does get tested. How does he get tested? He gets tested in his desire to pursue the Ark of the Covenant. So any normal human being, any reasonable human being, tested in the way that Indiana Jones is tested, would simply decide, you know what, screw this arc. I would go back to teaching where it's nice and safe. But Indiana Jones makes the opposite decision. Indiana Jones doesn't change, but he does get tested. He gets tested. Is he willing to reconcile with his ex-girlfriend in order to get this arc? Is he willing to stand up to the scary Nazi with the burn in his hand in order to get this arc? Is he willing to confront his fear of snakes in order to get this arc? Is he willing to confront the power of the Nazi army in order to get this work? Is he willing to confront the face of God in order to get this ark? Is he willing to confront the meaninglessness of his own work when that ark ends up in the basement of the museum? So Indiana Jones doesn't change. He gets tested. And the way we test him is we put him in situations where any other character would change. But that character refuses to change. Forrest Gump is an example of a test movie. Forrest Gump doesn't change. Forrest Gump maintains his innocence in the face of the events, the historical events that made all of us change. So Forrest Gump living through the horror of the 60s, living through a world where people die, people get shot for no reason, horrible things happen, your best friend dies, your Lieutenant Dan, who you look up to, becomes a bitter suicidal veteran, your mother dies, Jenny doesn't love you, Jenny's dying, right? In the face of political and emotional upheaval, Forrest Gump holds on to his innocence in the face of all the things that would have changed us. And to go to the darker side, A movie like Pan's Labyrinth is a test movie, a story of a little girl who the only thing she wants, she believes that she is the inheritor of a fairy kingdom who's been banished from that fairy kingdom and forced to live in the world of men. And the world of men that she lives in is an ugly world. Her beautiful mother has married a fascist colonel, the high up in the Spanish army during the Spanish Civil War. And she is now literally eating at the table of fascism. Fascism is protecting her, giving her clothes, feeding her. And all she wants, she believes that she has a chance to inherit her fairy kingdom. She meets a fawn in the woods who offers a way to rescue herself from this fate. And all she has to do is three tests that the fawn has created for her. And she is told that if she does these three tests, she will inherit her fairy kingdom. And what happens is she gets tested in pursuing the tests. So her mother gets sick and she chooses not to do the test. She's asked finally for one drop of her brother's blood. And she chooses not to do the test. There's one little moment where she wavers a little bit. There's a moment where she eats a grape from a table she's been forbidden. But for the most part, the character doesn't change. What happens is, even in the face of the opportunity to inherit her fairy kingdom, have everything she ever wants in the world, this character holds on to her purity. 
she holds on to her innocence, the thing that makes her worthy of inheriting. And of course, this is a story about fascism, right? This is a story about what do you do in the face of fascism? Do you let it change you or do you refuse to change? And what's really beautiful about this movie, without ruining it for you, is that she is both rewarded and punished. She suffers both the ultimate horror of fascism and also the ultimate beauty of holding on to who she really is. So these are all examples of test movies in really big budget commercial films. We don't see these movies as often in character-driven movies, particularly in family-driven movies. Because, for one thing, this is not the story that we want to see about our family. We want to feel like our family is going to change, like things are going to get better, like the dysfunctions are going to go away, like someday we will finally hear each other and listen to each other. And when we fall in love with characters, we want to believe that they're going to become better people today than they were yesterday. Because we want to believe that we're going to be better people today than we were yesterday. So usually in these kind of Sundance films, in these independent films, if you think of Me, Earl, and The Dying Girl, for example, if you think of a movie like The Celebration, if you think of a movie like Margot at the Wedding, if you think of a movie like Secrets and Lies, if you think of any of these little independent films, character-driven films, usually what we're used to watching is characters go through huge change if you think of a movie like Junebug, if you think of any of these character-driven films, what we're used to seeing is characters going through huge changes in relation to their family, coming together with their family, breaking away with, from their family, somehow reconciling the problems of family. And so, despite its strengths and its weaknesses, because Manchester by the Sea has a lot of both, what is most interesting to me about Manchester by the Sea is the emergence of a different kind of family drama a movie about a character who doesn't change. So if you think of the character of Lee Chandler, played by Casey Affleck, this is a character who has a very difficult past. There are some spoilers ahead if you haven't seen the movie, but Lee Chandler's backstory is that uh, a long time ago, he was in a beautiful and broken relationship with a woman he truly loved and who truly loved him. And he wasn't a perfect husband. And she wasn't a perfect wife. He had a drug problem. He had a partying problem. He had an irresponsibility problem. He was a very difficult man for her to be with. He was not the best father to ever live. But you could see that they loved each other. That there was a genuine love between them. And then one day, he's having a big party with his friends. He's high on cocaine. His wife comes down and kicks everybody out. He throws a couple of logs on the fire, goes to buy some more beer. And by the time he gets back, his house has burned to the ground. And his children are dead. The only one to survive is his wife. And of course, they end up broken up. So this is the past. This is the backstory of the character. In this movie, we actually find out about the backstory. But oftentimes, the backstory is not even important. 
Whenever your character has a really strong backstory, one of the questions you need to ask yourself is, does the movie take place then or does the movie take place now? Is this a movie about the present or is this a movie about the past? So if we think of his backstory, if the most interesting thing in the movie is a story that happened in the past with his wife, then the truth of the matter is we wouldn't want to be flashing back and forth. We would want to lock into that period of time. So what happens instead is that this writer, Kenneth Lonergan, finds a way to make the past present. What does it mean to make the past present? He finds a way to make the crisis of the past that this character has still not dealt with come back in the present to force the character to come to terms with it in some way, to force the character to wrestle with the unfinished business again. At the beginning of the movie, we're seeing Lee in his routine. He is a janitor in Boston. He's a janitor. His life is pretty bleak and even more important, pretty lonely. He spends his days cleaning, fixing, tending to all these different apartments, getting treated badly. He spends his nights in bars alone. He's got a penchant for fist fights when he's feeling frustrated. He's not the happiest man in life and there's not a lot going on for him at home. Then he finds out that his brother Joe is dying. There's an interesting editing choice that probably is not the choice I would have made that happens there, which is that the writer-director, Kenneth Lonergan, chooses to show the entire road trip. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to create the feeling of how hard it was to get there and why Lee can't get there before his brother dies. But the effect in the movie is that, whoa, it slows down the pace. And the truth is, there are a lot of sequences like this. So this is not happening by accident. This is happening on purpose. Um, But you do need to be aware as you're writing that if you're showing things that are not particularly exciting for a really long time, it does have a profound effect on the pace of your movie. And the people who did not respond to Manchester and by the Sea, uh, a big part of that was often about the pacing. But anyway, regardless of the pacing issues, Lee jumps in a car, puts his job on hold, gets somebody to cover for him, and heads to Manchester to try to see his brother before he dies. He gets there too late. Then he finds out that his brother's will has named him the guardian of his brother's son, Patrick. The wife is out of the picture. She's got some psychological problems of her own. There's a best friend whose kids are grown up and starting to leave the house and the last thing that he wants is another child. There's no one to do this except for Lee. And what this does is it takes the problem that Lee didn't deal with and it puts it back in the present of his life. He has to once again be a father and he doesn't want to be a father. And One of the reasons that the flashbacks in this movie work so well, in the same way that the flashbacks in Sophie's Choice work so well, is that the experiences of the present are forcing Lee to wrestle with the memories of the past. So rather than existing as exposition for the audience to go, hey, by the way, did I tell you he has a really bad backstory? 
Instead, we feel like we're flashing back through the perspective of the main character, and we're seeing two things as we flash back. We're seeing a prolonged sequence on the boat that we keep coming back to with Lee, his brother, and Patrick, the little boy Patrick. And we're seeing a genuine love between Lee and Patrick. We're seeing Lee's desire for Patrick to hang out with him more, to spend more time with him in the days before all this loss happened. We're seeing Lee's memories of his love for the child. And this is really important because in the present, Lee is mostly a total asshole to this child. Lee is not the standard, caring, supportive uncle. Oh my God, your father's dead. I feel so sad for you. Lee is hard on him. Lee is rough on him. Lee doesn't listen to him. Lee doesn't ask him questions. In a situation where any of us would let go of our hard veneer, Lee keeps that hard veneer up. If nothing else, he probably makes it harder. So these flashbacks are very important because this is Lee flashing back to his memories. How much he once loved this child. And they're important structurally for us as the audience because they tell us the secret that we wouldn't know otherwise. The secret that there's a part of Lee that wants to be this kid's father. The part that he's not showing. And it is this part that's being tested. The part of him that loved his children. The part of him that loves Patrick. The part of him that he could not show in the past. The part of him that he is struggling to show in the present. He's in a situation where any of us would have faced that demon to find a way to be kind, loving, and supportive to this child who needs us. But Lee makes a different choice. He chooses to be consumed by the past rather than changed by it. So we have this flashback, right? The one pull in Lee that we will never see him fully act on, but the pull towards being a father. The pull that made him fall in love with his wife. The pull that made him have children in the first place. The pull of what his life could be if he could just get over his past. And then on the other side, we have a more structural series of flashbacks. And what I mean by structural, movies move. And when flashbacks are still, what they do is they slow down the movie in the same way that your pace slows down when you show an entire road trip where no big choices happen. Movies' structure is about choices. They're, in change movies, they're about choices that change us. And in test movies, they're about the choices that don't. They're about the choices where we refuse to change. So we have one sequence that does not have structure to it, that is simply an emotional pull, that still, that all takes place on one boat, that's actually structured more like a play than like a movie, and that it has a unity of space, and that doesn't really have a beginning, middle, and end, that is more of a tonal moment, a nostalgic moment, like the, that one moment of beauty that you remember that kind of gives you a picture of what the future of your life might someday be. The other piece is much more structural. And that what that means is that it happens in an order. 
it happens with multiple acts. This is the story of the dissolution of his marriage. This is a movie about his downward spiral, um, even before his children's death. This is a story about the house fire. This is a story about trying to pick up the pieces after the house fire and one of the most beautiful scenes in the movie. This is the story of him showing up to the police and wanting to be punished, admitting he was on cocaine. Wanting them to throw him in jail and instead being turned free. Wanting a punishment and that punishment is not coming. This is the story of him grabbing a cop's pistol and putting it to his own head trying to kill himself before finally being subdued by a whole mob of cops. This is a story about a man's descent. So usually when we see a character-driven movie and we have a bunch of flashbacks about a descent towards suicide, the events that led him to this deeply compromised life he's living in Boston, this sequence, this structure that led to the choice to let go of his love for pretty much everyone, to isolate himself from his family, to pull away from Patrick, this boy he loved, from his brother, to only show up when his brother is dying or his brother is sick. Usually, when we see a journey like that in the past, what we expect is a different journey in the present. If in the past it's a journey towards suicide, we expect in the present it's going to be a journey away from it. If in the past it's a journey away from wife, away from family, away from love, away from children, we expect in the present to see a journey back towards it, a reintegration. This would be a change movie. But what happens in this movie is instead the character gets tested. And he gets tested on every thread that was ever important to him. He gets tested in his relationship with Patrick. From the moment he shows up, there is really no time that he sits down with Patrick and allows Patrick to express his emotions to him. He spends most of the movie trying to get out of his responsibility to Patrick. Punishing Patrick for being left to him. Insisting that he's going to pull Patrick out of his life. Trying to pawn him off on someone else. Trying to convince the best friend to take him. And even allowing the thing that he wants least in the world. Which is for Patrick's crazy abusive mother to have another shot at this kid. And when all those things don't work out, we expect that finally Lee is going to pass the test. But once again, Lee chooses not to change. Now, what's really beautiful and what makes this really powerful is that despite their total inability to connect, despite his gruffness, despite his lack of appreciation for what this boy has gone through, despite all the problems between them, we are actually seeing the two of them grow closer. We are actually seeing Lee start to become a father figure to this child. And we're starting to see this child become a son to him. We even return to the boat where 
we see the two of these characters together in this boat. Reminiscent of that moment that they keep flashing back to, that moment again becoming present. And these are the signs that make us think that change is possible, that change is going to happen. These are the the signs that keep the test movie from feeling flat by giving these little opportunities to change. So this is the first thing I want you to think about is that if you're building a test movie, the opportunity to change must exist. You must crack open the door because if you don't crack open the door, the only thing we see is a victim story. And when we only see a victim story, when we only see a story about life sucks, life's unfair, when we don't see the opportunity to change, yes, it is devastating, but we cannot as an audience take anything from it. We can't learn anything about our own lives. We can't teach ourselves anything. We can't root for someone who never has a chance. We can only pity them. We can't see ourselves in someone who never has a chance. We can only feel sorry for them. There is a distance that occurs between you and somebody who never has a chance. Where you say, oh, that's so sad. And you say it in the way that you say, man, it's so sad what's going on with those children in Africa. Or it's so sad what's going on with those immigrants trying to get into America. It's hard to see ourselves when there's no opportunity for change. But when you bring that opportunity for change out there, you create a devastating effect in the audience. And that devastating effect is looking at the character's life and going, where are the places where I could change and don't? Where are the decisions where I'm letting my past get in the way of my future? What are those places where I'm letting my guilt or my fear or my shame cut me off from those who need me and cut me off from the things that really matter to me. So if you're going to tell a movie that's a test movie, you want to make sure that the opportunity to change exists. The stronger that opportunity becomes, the more we feel the loss, the more devastating the loss becomes, the further the character can fall. The next thing that's really interesting about Manchester by the Sea is that this character is tested on every level. He is tested in his relationship with the boy. He is tested in his relationship with the boy's mother. And most importantly, he is tested in his relationship with his ex-wife. There's a moment where these two people come back together There's a moment where his wife, played by Michelle Williams, Randy, who is now remarried, who is now once again pregnant, who throughout the film keeps on showing up, wants to come to the funeral with her new husband, where he has to see her pregnant, realize that she's moving on even though he's not. So he's been tested throughout the movie by the specter of his ex by what he's done to her, by her hatred of him, by the feeling that what he's done is unforgiven and that she will never, ever, ever forgive him. And then in the final act of the movie, they come across each other in the street. And she tells him she loves him. She tells him 
she was unfair to him. She asked for him to go to lunch. This is yet another test. And there's a moment where we think, maybe something's actually going to happen between these two. Maybe a friendship. Maybe a moment of peace. Maybe even a new chance at love. And once again, he chooses not to change. He chooses not to reintegrate, not to get over the past by turning her down. We see this thread played out with other women as well. It seems that everywhere this character goes, there's some woman trying to connect with him. Someone trying to fall in love with him. Someone trying to connect with him. Someone trying to bring him closer. And again and again and again, this character chooses not to get closer. Until at the very end of the film, at the moment where we really believe the reconciliation is going to happen, we find out that the best friend's given up and is going to take the child. And that Lee's going to go back to Boston to live his life. That Lee is not going to change. And even in that moment, we can also feel that Lee has changed a little. Because even though this is a test movie, like any great test movie, it does have moments of change. And we do feel the connection that's built between the two of them. We do know that there's at least going to be a couch where Patrick can come and sleep. We do know that a tiny relationship has been built. Even if it wasn't the big one we've expected. This is not a radical notion. But it's nevertheless an unusual notion. Usually, whether it's a Hollywood feature or a Sundance or a tiny little indie film, the goal is to change the character as much as possible. In a classic test movie, the goal is to not change the character as much as possible. But in this form of test movie, the goal is not to move the character from A to Z but to move the character from A, maybe halfway to B. To give that tiny little piece of movement that gives us that hope that maybe in the future that change could still happen. But the important thing to understand, whether you're telling a test movie, a change movie, a circular change movie, or one of these little A to B test movies, the important thing to understand is that the fundamental engine of structure is still change, whether the character is changing or not. And that's why it's so important, whether your character is going to not change at all, change from A to B, or change from A to Z, the potential for that A to Z change must be there. Whatever the obstacle that is holding them back, you want to take that past and you want to make it present, and you want to test the character, not just with the bad, but also with the good. You want to show the journey that the character could have taken. And the reason that this is so important is because this is what makes these fictional stories human. This is what makes us fall in love with characters. Because this is what allows us to see ourselves in characters. The one thing that every writer And every audience member, every producer, every agent, every manager, every studio executive, every Hollywood star, 
everybody has in common is this one simple thing. Every single one of us wants to change. Every single one of us has dreams that we are not chasing. Every single one of us has a past that we are afraid to overcome. Every single one of us has choices that we know we need to make, that we are afraid of making. So whether your change is an A to B change, whether your change is an A to Z change, or whether your change is to hold on to who you are in the face of all the obstacles that want to change you, I hope that you'll make the choices that lead you towards your dreams, whether they're artistic or structural. I hope that you enjoyed this podcast. Again, we make this podcast available totally free and with no outside advertising. So if it was helpful for you, please do share it with your friends, subscribe to us on iTunes, and write us a review. It really does make a big difference. You can also get a complete transcript of this podcast on our website, writeyourscreenplay.com. And if you'd like to study with me in New York City, online, on one of our international retreats, or one-on-one as part of our ProTrack mentorship program, you can learn more on our website. That's writeyourscreenplay.com.